0: Hello, my name is Chung Ho Kwon. I'm so glad to have you in Platt Woods online worship today. I wish you have an awesome and safe celebration of 4th of July with your friends and family this weekend. And tomorrow, the Summer of Love is back. We had a season one of Summer of Love's sermon series last year. It was about how to love God and our neighbor and who they are. The series is continued this year. It, it is to revisit what we learned about, and also it is to gain new awareness. We hope you participate in a Plattwoods mission program or to a specific practice of faith in life each week so you can find how your faith grows, how your love grows to live as God's people in the world. We hear the news of war, pandemic, financial crisis, mass shooting, women's rights, immigration, accidents, and the issues dividing people in this country. Through this new series, we would like to remember what unites us is to love and examine how we love and how we love well both God and our neighbor. There was a popular cartoon strip called Love Is. It is a comic strip created by New Zealand cartoonist Kim Kazali in the 1960s. One of her most famous drawings, Love Is Being Able to Say You Are Sorry, was marketed internationally for many years in print, on cards, on souvenirs. I even knew it when I lived in South Korea, probably in 1980s. The beginning of the strip coincided closely with 1970s film, Love Story. The film's signature line is, love means never having to say you are sorry. I'm curious which one defines your love better. Many movies, shows, and songs talk about love. And the word love seems to be prevalent in the world. I would like to ask you to think about how love is prevalent in your life. I mean, how you say love or to whom you say, and where and when you practice God's love in daily life. And how do you know that you did well, you loved them well? Let me tell you how I do first. I have to confess that I'm shy to say or hear that I love you. It is related to how I was raised. Definitely, I believe my parents love me. But it was very rare to hear that either my mom or dad told me I love you when I grew up. They were not love sayers. They still are not. I think my parents are shy to say that like I am. So I don't know how many times I told them I love you mom or dad in my life. We are a shy family. And I feel I said more often I love you to my spouse and children than I did to my parents before. But I guess my own family might not be satisfied with it. And my boys don't think they heard it enough from their dad. And so I envy those love sayers. You are so lucky to hear the words from your family every day. And if you are attending this worship with your family, I hope you say that now I love you to each other. And if you are not with them, you can just think of loving one or your loved one and say, I love you. Did you say that? How do you feel? And do you feel love? Now let's think about how often we say that, God, I love you, or I love God as we do to our family. Here I have another confession when I prepared this message, I found I'm not a good love sayer to God either. It is very natural for me to say in my prayer that, Thank you, God, thank you for your grace and love. To say, I love you, God, in my prayer, I need to be more intentional. Think about your own prayer language. Do you say, I love you, God, in every prayer? I hope you do. I hope you say it more often. That's the essence of praise and worship. And that's why you and I sing Christian songs and hymns when we worship. And they are our love songs. They are the way we say, we love you, God. Because I love you is not in my ordinary daily language saying I love you to God. Actually, it's very special. It carries a special meaning or nuance whenever I say that. I cannot speak out those words without emotion. And I found that God described in the Old Testament actually seems to be a shy God. What I mean is that we know God loved Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Ruth, Esther, and many other prophets. God was with each of them. God helped them. But it is hard to find Bible verses in which God directly told them, I love you, Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, we can read the story of God's covenant with Abraham. God told Abram, before the change of his name, I am El Shaddai, walk with me and be trustworthy, I will make a covenant between us and I will give you many, many descendants. And God continued, I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. And I will be your God, your descendants. It is one of the most holy moments in Old Testament God and Abraham built a special relationship. And I have no doubt that God loved him. But God doesn't directly say that, I like you or I love you, Abraham. And we all know God loved him. And that's why the God in Old Testament seems to be shy. The God described in New Testament is actually more expressive. Through Jesus, his words, his ministry, God more frequently said, I love you. And Jesus reminded his disciples that God wants to be loved by God's people. Actually, Jesus taught his followers that to love God is to obey God's commandment. It was opposite from the way they believed. We all know what Jesus said. He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Christians are the people who are called to love God first, rather than believe God or obey God first. It means our faith begins in relationship with God. Love God goes first before we think of what we believe and what we don't. To love God sounds very simple. But the practice is much more complicated than we think. It is much more than saying, I love you, God. Loving God cannot be the same as loving your favorite sports team or stars. Even it is different from loving your own family. Loving God, loving God well, is much more than emotional attachment. It is something spiritual, moral, ethical, mental, personal, also emotional, communal, and mystic. And it is hard to define it uh, actually in one or the other. What we know is that this love is a special relationship with God affecting our entire life holistically. Jesus was an awesome teacher he defined it much simpler. He said it as father-child relationship. I wonder why he used a father-child model, not mother-child. My imagination says that it is because, as I mentioned earlier, the God described in the Bible is a little shy. God might not want to make self-expression as a mother who says "I love you" all the times to her child. God might be okay with being called as Heavenly Father who is like a short-spoken parent. You probably never heard about this because it is purely from my imagination. What the church teaches us is this. God is spirit. Gender identity or gender pronoun is for God's creation. Humanity, not for the divine spirit. The male pronoun of God is not God's choice. It is our choice. It is from our culture. It is limitation of human language. So theologically, it is not problematic to identify God with either he or she if we consider the limitation of our language. The bigger issue is how to love the invisible spiritual being, the divine spirit we can find at least two hints in the Gospels. The first is from the practice of Jesus, and second is from his own teaching. Jesus always prayed. He loved God by prayer, having a prayer time. He always separated time for God. He did before he began his public ministry. He prayed for 40 days and nights in the wilderness. He did in the busyness of his ministry. He didn't give up his prayer time, even though the crowd waited for him. He prayed on the night before he was arrested. We know he prayed even on the cross. That's how he loved God. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Jesus lived what he spoke. He showed us how to love God with all his heart, soul, and mind. That's the first hint of how to love God. So hope you think about how you prepare those time. Time for God, whom you love. The second hint is this. It is from his own teaching. It is from the same passage. He said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It is second commandment. Here, who is our neighbor is a big question. We already extensively explored it in the series one in 2021. So you can listen to the series anytime when you go to Plattewood's church webpage. We heard that the definition of neighbor in Jesus' mind is different from the meaning of neighbor in our daily conversation. To Jesus, neighbor is like the good Samaritan in his parable who helped the traveler who left half-dead alongside the road. The Samaritan and the traveler are not from the same town. They didn't live on the same street. They didn't know each other. They didn't come from the same uh, religious tradition. They were total strangers to each other. But Jesus called the Samaritan as a neighbor, the good neighbor in his teaching. And that's the meaning of neighbor to Jesus. That's how we are called to love people as our neighbor, who are total strangers. And to Jesus, to be a good neighbor to strangers is the way they love God. That's how his disciples are called to love God the more I think of the Good Samaritan story, the more I think it is the biography of people of Israel. The Good Samaritan story reveals what God had done to the people of Israel. God didn't leave the Hebrew slaves who left half-dead. God saved them. God rescued them. God gave them a new identity, and God loved them. The story of Good Samaritan is the story of God and Israel. That's how God loved Israel. And Jesus told his disciples, that's how they can love God. And that's how New Testament teaches how to obey God's commandment. Here my imagination works again. Through the parable of Good Samaritan, Jesus reveals who God is to us. God is a total, complete stranger to humanity. To love God is to love a stranger. To love God is to show kindness to a stranger. To love God is to be generous to a stranger. It is difficult to do. How could we practice this? The Bible shows us that our shy God loved us first. This shy, heavenly parent loved you when you were stranger to God. This heavenly father adopted us and called us his children. And God showed us kindness even before we knew God and even before God knew us. God is always gracious and generous to you and me without expecting any return. That's how God loved us first and how God still loves us. In the first Corinthians chapter 13, St. Paul describes more about God's love. And I believe this is one of the most beautiful chapters in the New Testament. To me, it is like Psalm 23 of New Testament. Paul said, If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels but do not have love, I am a noise gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoings, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And now, faith, hope, and love remain These three, the greatest of these is love. It is so beautiful, we cannot stop loving such God. The more we experience God's love, the more we come to love God. The people of God come to imitate the love they received and repeat after God's love they experienced. There are 14 objectives of love in this chapter, This morning, I hope you think more deeply the words in verse 4 and find how to practice that love. It says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. Hope it sounds like your love. And this is my must-have verse when I preach in weddings. I remind couples that love means patience. Love means kindness. And love is not jealous or arrogant. So do your best to love your spouse like that. Also, I don't forget to remind them more important thing. It is that your love is not perfect. What you hear from this chapter is the love of God, the, the love of Jesus. So don't expect Your love, and actually the love of your spouse, is what is described in this chapter. If you do, he or she might be on the cross. Each of your love is envious and jealous, not that much patient and not that much kind. So your husband or wife is not Jesus. It is better to expect that his love is not much patient, her love is not that much kind, and his love is jealous, and her love is arrogant. Just remembering how each of you is not, are not perfect, and that's kind of secret of how you can love well or enhance your love map in marriage. Thinking that you know partially your spouse, not all, is the way you can love him or her humbly and patiently. Actually, it's from my own experiences. I was in trouble whenever I thought I knew my wife well. It was always better to consider that I don't know her well. I think it is true in our relationship with God. It is better for us to believe God's will is obscure. We don't know God well rather than claim we know what God wants. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. Also, it should be considered when we love our neighbor. As I mentioned earlier, in Jesus' teaching, neighbor means strangers rather than the one who lives right next door. But we can consider right next door neighbor as neighbor in biblical sense too. I don't think I know my neighbor well. Yes, I know their names and how many people live in their houses. And I know whether they have a dog or not. I know their cars are even more And I talk to them often on driveways. But it doesn't mean I can claim I know them well. I only partially know their life, family relation, and spiritual background. I know my neighbor who went to United Methodist Church. But there's no way to know how their relationship with God is. They know their Asian neighbor is a Methodist pastor, and some of them know even the name of my church, but they don't know where my passion and vision of ministry is. So when we love neighbor, whether they are close or far, we must love humbly, love patiently, and love in kindness. As God loved you first So you are called to love your neighbor who are near and far first. And I'm not perfect as you are not. And I don't think I can love my neighbor as myself. If I believe I can, my love must be arrogant. So I try to love them without ignoring my limitation. I seek loving God in the way I love others. When I love them, I pray to God, I seek having eyes that see the best in people, a heart that forgives the worst, a mind that forgets the bad, and a soul that never loses faith in God. And I love God in prayer. When I pray, I say God's love helped me to grow, do better, evolve myself from the days I was wrong, the days I didn't meet my goals, the days I was in self-doubt, regret, disappointment, or embarrassment. When I pray, my shy Heavenly Father tells me in the way he told his people in the Bible. He said, in me, you live and move and have your being. You are not a mistake, and it is my desire to lavish my love on you. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope. I will never stop doing good to you. And I want to show you great and marvelous things. I am also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles. When you are brokenhearted, I am close to you. And Jesus came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. Isn't it amazing that how God loves us? Let us pray. Thank you for your love, O God. We love you. We feel your love and grace this morning. We want to love you in the way you taught us in Jesus. Amen.